The hero's journey intrigues viewers because as a psychological stage, we are all subject to the fantasy of the chosen one. Heroes usually fight a father figure, and as it turns out, we were born to battle our parents. I'm Rem Whitcraft, and this is Fiction Briefly. Psychologists Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, and Otto Rank wrote that the hero's journey exists because of common psychological stages we all go through in our struggle to become adults, and that becoming disenchanted with one's parents is part of a child's journey to independence. The hero's journey exists in otherwise disparate cultures because it describes a common human experience, the response to conflicts which arise once a person learns to think, act, and survive outside the safety of the home. These types of myths include various trials, mentors and friends, and new skills including the navigation of social issues like love, loyalty, and trust. The hero's successes reinforce our own optimism that we will win in the end as long as we don't give up. We are programmed from birth to acquire speech and the ability to walk. To survive on our own, we must leave home, use what we've learned from mimicking our parents, and apply our own judgments. Emancipation from our parents is also about receiving justice, control over what is actually ours our bodies and minds. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is so relatable because Harry's rediscovered identity deals with justice served to his abusive family. He starts out so disenfranchised, he is relegated to a room under the stairs and forced to draw a birthday cake out of dirt on the floor. But magic levels Harry with his spoiled cousin. It humiliates the cousin who possesses privilege. Magic locks the cousin in a snake habitat at the zoo and gives him a pig's tail, a rightful sentence for an ungrateful, gluttonous bully. Magic also overthrows Harry's aunt and uncle, who have wielded their oppressive power over him, keeping him ignorant of his heritage. When he leaves his abusive family, Harry finally has all the tools he needs to be successful. And just when he runs out of luck, someone is there with a broom or an invisibility cloak to help him out. It's the ultimate fantasy for the rest of us who dream of finding a hidden talent, want acknowledgement of our worth, and a little help to stay afloat when things don't go well. For the movie, writer J.K. Rowling is inventive, but she doesn't start from scratch. Thousands of years of myth created the foundation for the existence of Harry Potter. For The Sorcerer's Stone, I'll refer to psychiatrist Otto Rank's work, The Myth of the Birth of the Hero, a common template for heroic characters who are born to be legends. First, the hero is born of royal or supernatural parents. Harry's parents are wizards, his father with wizard blood and his mother a muggle or non-magic folk, who was also schooled in witchcraft. Rank's list also mentions that the child's life is in danger early on and sacrifices must be made to save his life. The ultimate villain of the Harry Potter series, Voldemort, tries to kill Harry as a baby. Next in the list, the child loses or is taken away from his parents. 
After both parents are killed by Voldemort, Hagrid, groundskeeper at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, whisks Harry away to his muggle side of the family. Rank's list also has the child rescued by animals or shepherds. Hagrid is a shepherd of sorts, caretaker of all the beasts living on school property. The list says the legendary baby is nourished and reared by animals or lowly persons. No one is lowlier than Harry's muggle relatives. Finally, the hero is identifiable by a mark or wound. Voldemort's attack left Harry with a lightning-shaped scar on his forehead. Although for the plot, Rowling adheres to Joseph Campbell's hero's journey from the hero with a thousand faces, let's look at Vladimir Propp's formula to analyze this story's success. Prop published Morphology of the Folktale in 1928, which identifies 31 plot points common in the Russian folktale. Like most classic tales, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone may not include all 31 points, but the points they include usually remain in order. As we will see, Rowling changes the order quite a bit. The movie starts out right at the beginning of the formula with absentation, where a member of the family leaves home. Hagrid leaves Hogwarts carrying the infant Harry Potter from a magical realm to the residence of, as Hogwarts Professor McGonagall says, the worst sort of muggles imaginable. We're given a glimpse into the life of the hero as he deals with his muggle relatives before we get to the second step, the interdiction. This is where the hero is told to avoid a person or a place. It's ten years later on Harry's 11th birthday, and he has been bombarded by letters inviting him to Hogwarts. The aunt and uncle who despise Harry sure try hard to keep him from leaving, but it's not clear if it's due to religious objections or the free labor Harry provides. But there would be no story without the third step, the violation, where the hero ignores the warning. Hagrid rescues Harry from his muggle family and takes him to the streets of London to buy school supplies. Rowling introduces a false hero at this stage, number 24 on Prop's list, Unfounded Claims. At the Leaky Cauldron pub, Harry and Hagrid run into Professor Quirrell, who will preside over the dark arts instruction at Hogwarts. We don't know it at the time, but Quirrell is an agent of the villain, clued in by his refusal to shake Harry's hand. The formula gets more on track at number eight, the villainy or lack stage, where the villain harms someone or the hero lacks something. Harry has plenty of mentors and protectors, but what he really lacks are his parents. Next, we arrive at nine, the mediation, where the hero learns what he's up against. In Ollivander's wand shop, the wand which chooses Harry is the brother wand to that of he who must not be named. Villains are often the dark side of the hero, and the existence of twin wands is a nice reference to this. Harry is told the owner of the other wand did great things. Terrible, yes, but great. This foreshadows the epic battle between the two which lasts throughout the series because we know Harry too is destined for great things. Next comes the branding stage. This appears in a flashback prompted by Hagrid's story to Harry. We learn Harry received his forehead scar in a deadly battle with the villain. Moving back in the formula, we come to 11, the departure stage. 
This is where the hero leaves the home environment, this time with a sense of purpose. With the help of Ron and the Weasley family, Harry gets from the London train platform into the magical world where he gets on the train to Hogwarts. Joseph Campbell's hero's journey includes the meeting of a goddess who can be good or evil. Know-it-all Hermione Granger seems to fit that role as her studious nature saves Harry time and time again. Following the steps, we come to 12, the first function of the donor. With the aid of a magical agent or helper, the hero gets tested. Harry has many donors throughout the series, providing him with tools or guidance. In this case, the talking sorting hat uses magic to read impressions of the students determining which house they're suited for. Stage 13 is the hero's reaction. Harry has a bad feeling about the head of the House of Slytherin and some of its members. After Harry expresses his misgivings, the hat chooses the house where Harry's newfound friends will reside, Gryffindor. The following step usually comes from the mentor. But in this movie, the 15th stage, or Guidance, the hero is led to an important object by the magic of the school's building itself. The staircases move on their own, leading Harry and his friends to the forbidden third floor. To prevent their discovery by Hogwarts' caretaker, Hermione uses magic to unlock a door to a room they can hide in. Inside that room lies a trap door guarded by a massive three-headed dog. Skipping ahead in the film, we've arrived at the 16th stage, The Struggle, where the hero and villain fight. A giant troll acting on behalf of the villain traps Hermione in the restroom. Harry climbs up the beast and has a hard time hanging on. Now at 22, the rescue stage, someone rescues the hero. As Harry is precariously perched on the flailing beast, Hermione reminds Ron how to use his wand, and the first lesson of Wingardium Leviosa comes into play. The troll's club rises over his head, then drops, knocking the troll unconscious. Harry and the children escape. Rewinding the order of the formula, we get back to 14, provision of a magical agent. The Quidditch scene in the movie only serves as a distraction, leading the characters away from the truth rather than toward it, so we'll focus on another magical agent procured on Christmas morning. Harry receives a package from an unknown sender which contains his father's invisibility cloak. At the 19th stage, the liquidation of lack, Harry finds the mirror of Erised, which reflects the innermost desires of the viewer. The name Erised itself is desire spelled backward. In Harry's case, he sees his parents alive and by his side. Next comes 25, the difficult task where the hero must solve a difficult problem. After some sleuthing, the children become convinced it is a magical stone behind the trap door. They try to protect it from Professor Snape, who they think wishes to steal it. Way out of its traditional order is the fourth stage, Reconnaissance. The villain makes an effort to attain knowledge needed to fulfill their plot. We learn the anonymous dragon seller had asked Hagrid about his three-headed dog, Fluffy. Continuing from this position, we get to five, the delivery stage where the villain succeeds in part of their plan. Hagrid blurts out, as he's known to do, that music is the way to bypass Fluffy and gain access to the trap door. 
but now the children too know the secret. 21 is the pursuit stage where the hero is pursued by an adversary. Draco Malfoy, a student of the House of Slytherin and Harry's nemesis at Hogwarts, discovers Harry and his friends at Hagrid's after curfew. Malfoy tattles and the children all get punished. In the scene with the students serving their detention in the dangers of the forest, a centaur saves Harry from Voldemort and provides the connection between the villain and the sorcerer's stone, the elixir of life Voldemort needs to survive. At the tenth stage, we reach the beginning of the counteraction, where the hero hatches a plan. The children use the cloak to sneak out and arrive at the trap door guarded by the three-headed dog. Escaping Fluffy's large jaws, the children venture down into what Joseph Campbell would call the belly of the whale. In this case, they get swallowed by some deadly vines before they drop into the school's basement. Usually one of the last steps is 28, the exposure stage which reveals the identity of the false hero. Professor Quirrell has been host of the parasitic form of the villain who doesn't have enough power to live in his own body yet. Voldemort, attached at the back of Professor Quirrell's head, has been disguised under the teacher's turban. Turns out the professors at Hogwarts aren't properly vetted after all. Going back to step six, we get the trickery stage where the villain tries to trick the victim, either to capture the victim or steal something valuable. Voldemort tries to trick Harry into revealing the location of the Sorcerer's Stone by having him look into the mirror of Erised. It's later revealed that only a seeker of the stone who doesn't wish to use its life-prolonging powers will be able to find it. A wink from his mirror self has Harry reaching in his pocket where he discovers the stone. Harry lies about what he sees, but it doesn't fool Voldemort. The next stage is seven, the complicity stage where the victim is either fooled or forced into cooperation. On Voldemort's order, Quirrell attacks Harry and Harry drops the stone. At number 30, we reach the punishment stage where the villain suffers the consequences of their actions. While Quirrell chokes Harry, the boy's hands reach up and touch Quirrell's hand, burning him. Aware of his new power from some unknown spell, Harry touches his hands to Quirrell's face, turning the teacher into ash. Voldemort, in his diminished form, escapes like an expelled spirit. After waking up in the hospital wing, Harry's popularity soars. With the efforts of Harry and his friends, Gryffindor earns enough points to win the House Cup. The movie ends with number 20, The Return, where the hero goes home. Harry and his friends board the train leaving Hogwarts. We get a sense of relief that all is well until next time. While Rowling hits most stages of Prop's formula, she only follows the order of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Why, then, is the movie so successful? First, we always know who the hero is, and the entire Harry Potter series is full of complexity. It's part fantasy with its world-building, part mystery with its puzzles and clues, and part action with its fight sequences. Rowling incorporates smaller plots for each installment, like the discovery and subsequent protection of the Sorcerer's Stone, which involves the main plot, Harry against Voldemort. 
In between, she weaves in subplots with social conflicts we can relate to in our own lives. The antagonism between Malfoy and Harry, clues about Harry's parents given in pieces, and the mystery of the stone from its retrieval at the bank up to the children's warning to Professor McGonagall, all leaked by Hagrid who conceals as much information as he gives. Rowling also weaves in false clues leading us to believe Snape is evil, Harry's burning scar when they first meet, Snape's ripped pant leg revealed in the bathroom in the scene with the troll, his apparent interference with Harry during the Quidditch match, and the confrontation with Professor Quirrell in the hall all lead us to believe in Snape's guilt. But most successful is Harry's last trial, which weaves in the talents of all three children, binding them together as a team. Hermione's knowledge of plants, Harry's skills as a seeker, and Ron's chess abilities. In short, Rowling keeps things interesting. For the plot structure, Rowling has Joseph Campbell, but she has ancient mythology to thank for some of the creatures, characters, and devices. Dragons were first described in ancient Mesopotamian art and literature. In Greek mythology, there is already a three-headed dog which guards an entrance, in this case to the underworld, land of the dead. Rowling also borrows hybrid beings like the centaur Harry meets in the dark forest. The unicorn Hagrid and the gang seek is a creature pictured in ancient Mesopotamian art. Finally, the mirror of Erised is similar to the theme of the Greek myth involving Narcissus, who fell in love with his own reflection. Do modern references to Greek mythology interest you in finding out more about ancient storytelling? I hope so, because my next show will examine the myth of Hercules, which exposes a surprising side to the character and his reputation as the ultimate representation of a man. Brave and strong, Hercules was also known for his strong show of emotion, a once-revered quality that did not survive the ages. You can comment on this episode or suggest new content on my Facebook page, Fiction Briefly. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on whichever platform you listen on. I want to thank Kestrel and Mexican Spy Company for all music and sound production for this show. Again, this has been Fiction Briefly, giving you a glimpse into the mind of an artist. Thank you for listening.